the muscle-bound cop in the ladies' wig and the bad-fitting baseball cap. See him driving around the city, running over bad guys in his Chevrolet piece of crap. On loan from San Diego, they call him Samurai. But he doesn't fit the profile for a samurai. He doesn't even have a sword. Samurai cop. He's telling these son of a bitch as he respects the Japanese of this country. He's gonna turn him into fertilizer while he's making time with the gang boss's lady. Samurai cop. At the cop shop flirting with the lady cop and every other woman in the place cause he can't stop. Welcome everyone to some Wednesday night fun. Uh, J-Mac, how cool was that song? Uh, where did you find that? I found it just literally by looking for the soundtrack of Samurai Cop and then that came up and I looked at it and some guys had made it. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that. that. It, it, it was, I mean, it was funny. It was funny as hell. <laughs> um, but I'd heard a similar kind of thing. Somebody had written uh, the Die Hard movie into a rock song. Um, yeah. Remember when yeah. we first met John McClane? It's, it's really cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. But that that actually trumped it. That was awesome. Similar vein. It was actually it was actually amazing. Uh, we got someone in the chat already. Craig Matthew man, uh, looking forward to this. Hearing about this extensive samurai. Oh, ha, ha, great! It's extensive. <laughs> well, ladies and gents, Matthew is in the virtual building tonight to answer all your questions. So if you do have any questions about his career, samurai cop or anything, pop them in the comments section, and I will bring them up. Uh, really looking forward to this, J Mac. We done a. a was a review actually not even a deep dive or a watch along it was a review of samurai cop and uh, i'm so glad that we done that because i don't know how i've gone this long without actually knowing about the movie <laughs> i only heard about it maybe two years ago um but i don't know why i, I kind of neglected to mention it to you the the one person i should have mentioned it to um because it's an absolute blast of a film it's uh it's a complete shit show but it, it's for the, the right reasons time, it's awesome it's just yes. it's it's so so good it's like a wee friend that you take places and you know you're going to get you in trouble, but you still love him anyway. Right? <laughs> you. <laughs> you. It's like me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had so much fun watching it. And it's one of those movies I can like I can put it on and they'll go, oh, I've just seen this. And I'll watch it again and I'll watch it again. And I think it's like a wildfire. When you watch it, you just want to tell everybody about it and everybody watches it and then you have a good laugh about it and work. This bit was great. But, you know, I think as far as these kind of movies go, I think based on something like Samurai Cop, other directors and producers and stuff may try and make deliberately movies like that because there's yeah. definitely, there's there's a fan mm. base for that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we've all seen films like Sharknado and stuff recently that are made to be tongue-in-cheek, but the, mm -hmm. the Armin Chavan thought he was making a good film and that's what makes, that's what makes the fact that it was so 
terrible, so good. That it's, was amazing. It's, it's got that charm to it. It's like mm -hmm. the guy that made Birdemic thought he was making a good film, but that is terrible. This is awesome. This film this is, is, awesome. is so, so good. I can't wait yep. to talk to Matt. It's going to be well, let's, good. let's bring him in. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Caridis. Boss is coming. <laughs> there he is. Hey, hey. hey, guys. That was a very <laughs> uh, sweet introduction to even <laughs> intimate that I had a career in Hollywood was good. There's only two films. <laughs> well, it's hey. become a career after 30 years with this yeah, movie. Which is amazing. That's two more films than I've done. So I was going to say that myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you uh, always think when you first start out that the movie that you did was just to get you to that stardom level that you mm -hmm. want and didn't think it would be forever in infamy, but it is what it is. <laughs> it's quite it's quite amazing. And I think with the integration of the internet into society and stuff, because when you, when you made that movie, the internet wasn't a thing, right? So No, no. Uh, YouTube is what really started it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the world kind of changed and then it kind of gave birth to this amazing uh, following for for the movie uh so you i read somewhere that you had a came straight out of school and went and ran a video store um was that because you had a love for a movie or was it just like kind of like a job for you mm, i think it was more necessity it was the you know early 80s my older brother who's four years older had just graduated college had a business degree mm -hmm. my father thought you know matt's kind of who knows where he's gonna end up so let me keep him busy so the video <laughs> store was something. It was a, a franchise video store called National Video, similar to what I think Blockbuster became, but we were kind of an upper echelon of video stores back then. So for me, I just enjoyed, yeah, having a job, you know, um, and then, of course, that was where all my love of movies came on. I mean, I'm kind of in the same vein as like Quentin Tarantino. And um, as far as working in a video store, I can visually remember every box if you wanted, you know, mm -hmm. in the heat of the night or what. I knew it was a Paramount, what color, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was fun to be around that for at least three years. I did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And uh, what kind of movies would like? Because I also worked in a video store uh, as I came out of school, and it was Blockbuster just before it went down. Um, <laughs> so I was like one of the last trained people in, in uh, Blockbuster, and I, I loved the fact that I could go into Blockbuster and they called it product research, where I would get all the new titles for free to take. Oh home. yeah, yeah watch them and then bring them back so i could explain them to the customers oh this is the movie for you so i got to talk about movies all day got paid for it and got to watch free movies it's kind of like this podcast <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fun it's, it's a fun gig right yeah, i'm disturbed i'm disturbed that they let kevin tell people about movies because he will tell them everything <laughs> every spoiler yeah. it's like oh have you seen the sixth sense yet oh bruce willis is a ghost by the way um that that's oh, that's how kevin it. tells yeah, you yeah. about a movie yeah. <laughs> yeah so what what kind of movies for you were like what were the movies that you would take home what was it what were your love for movies which ones i mean um i wasn't into the horror movies and that was a big time in the 80s a lot of mm -hmm. those videos um obviously i watched a lot of action stallone movies um you know i was big into the rockies and the rambos and then oh, you know chuck yeah. norris had missing in action and those kind of things <laughs> but um yeah i'd say i became obsessed because i just got out of high school right there i graduated in 82 we opened the video store in, in july of 82 and it ran till like 1985 but i always had that desire to head to hollywood to be the mm. you know be the famous actor and i don't know where it stemmed from it could have been from when i first maybe did see rocky back in you know 1976 when it came out and a lot of people when i was younger there was a slight resemblance so 
people would say that I was always the class clown. So then seeing Baki and then I would start boxing and doing all that and training. And, uh, but I always just thought I got to get out of Portland, Oregon, which is where I grew, which is the Pacific Northwest, kind of a rainy climate and head to Southern California and chase that dream down. But I had done as much as I could have there in Portland in local theaters. And I just had that bug to just head to Hollywood and and, you know, like anybody else with visions of grandeur, thought I would be able to you know, become a big, a big star, which kind of, but not the way I planned is occurred. Yeah. I mean, you have to make the move or it's never going to happen, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. how did you like from a, from that time when you arrived in Hollywood, thinking, right, I'm going to try and be an actor. How did you end up being a bodyguard for Stallone? I uh, had a friend when I worked out in, you know, Oregon, I obviously built up my my um, size. I think I graduated 6'3", 178, and then I got up to 200, 220. Just kept eating and, and working out, getting bigger and bigger. Um, never used steroids. I probably would have easily got to 300 pounds, but I think my highest weight was 270. So I had a friend who had a friend in California that worked in a security industry, and I thought, hey, maybe I could hook up with him, get a job starting as a you know, big guy doing whatever. And then I'll segue into doing some acting stuff. So when I moved here, I started with that guy's company. Uh, wasn't what I wanted. It was more event security, like you see at concerts, the guy that just stands around. I was looking more for executive protection, you know, bodyguard mm -hmm. type work. And yep. um, I had, uh, when I explained what I wanted, they gave me a name of a guy. I contacted him. He happened to have the contract, ironically, for Stallone's estates and his personal security detail. And I also tracked down the gym where Sly worked out in Santa Monica because I thought, well, let me put myself in that arena. So I found yeah. the gym, the gym owner, George Piposik, who owns Santa Monica Bodybuilding Center. And that's kind of how I got started in that. And Sly had just come back from filming Rambo 3. And I you know, met him that day and his bodyguards. And we just talked and we kind of knew the same people. Ironically, one of Sly's bodyguards, Gary Compton, was the, he's Hawaiian, was the cousin of my friend Fanuai Lutu in Portland who gave me the introduction to the security. So there's that kind of connection that just lets people think, all right, he's not a freak. He's not a best <laughs> fan, you know, and he's a big dude. We could use him. He's young, you know. So that's kind of how I met him and, and how things started in, in, as far as that connection. What was that like for you? Because you said there, obviously, you you loved the Rocky movies. And so if you love them the same way as we do, like, he's on, <laughs> on that yeah. pedestal there. For yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was that like from loving Rocky movies to then working with Rocky? It, it was kind of surreal. I mean, obviously, I was starstruck. I mean, I idolized him growing up in fitness. And my older brother, who also was, a uh, you know, worked out. And so I, I looked up to them for role models. Um, but then, yeah, when I first arrived in September in 87 in L.A., they were still filming in Israel, Rambo 3, finishing shots. But I had seen in the gym, George's wife was running the gym while George was on set with Sly training him. Pictures from the set, and I thought, fuck, man, this guy's fucking ripped. And I'm just this big fucking <laughs> WWF wrestler, thick 270 yeah. pounds. I mean, <laughs> I was benching uh, probably 420 pounds at the time, and George oh, was always worried I was going to break the bench because no one – looked like that in the gym they were all into abs and glutes and hollywood and i was just this big you know whatever but um <laughs> he came home just before christmas of that year and I, I remember the phone call came to the gym slides on his way in and and he doesn't like drafts so he, they closed all the windows <laughs> in the gym <laughs> um, and then i heard the harleys pulling up and then you know it was just kind of fun then he comes bouncing in the gym in his little boxing attire and 
shorter than I expected. I think Sly's like five nine, maybe five ten yeah. with the lifts. Six three. Anyway, <laughs> so I've made the the um, I've told the story as he came in the gym. He was saying hello to people he knew, but he knew I was there, and it kind of like a dog pissing on his territory. He came by the biggest dude in the gym. Kind of just gave me that look, you know, like, hey, this is my house. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, and that's kind of, that was kind of the initial, it was just fun. And then, and then to obviously work for him for the two or three years uh, was mm -hmm. surreal. Um, just being around the best and, and at the top of his career at that time, me as a young actor, mm -hmm. uh, hadn't done Samurai Cop yet, but I thought it's interesting to see how real Hollywood works. I mean, he's with the top producers. There's no bullshit with casting and, all that kind of, you know, shit that girls go through or even guys, you go down the wrong path, you end up in porn, which maybe <laughs> Samurai Cop could have been. Hey. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, with the way it ended up. But anyway, so it was just, yeah, it was a thrill to work for him. I learned a lot um, being around him. And I, I've always cherished those times. We, we were still friends. I haven't seen him in many, many years, but it was kind of a cool experience for a young kid to watch his movies mm -hmm. and then to be there working for him. It didn't really sink in until maybe years later how cool that was. Yeah, it's, in, it's incredible. Awesome. I mean, so it's one of those uh, dream kind of jobs. We've got a couple questions oh, yeah. here from some of your fans. Uh, Jelsea Edgar Ger Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks. It could be Ekegrin or Ekegrin. I'm not sure. Let's let's go. <laughs> Remember, Matt, we were telling you that we're quite bad at pronouncing people's names. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's right. So she, she says, uh, "I love Samurai Cop so much. Having a copy rifed and unrifed is." must a must for a fan i wonder if anyone knew then really had any idea of how big a cult following it would have years later i mean i, I can't imagine for, for yourself i mean that kind of is a question in itself did, did you think it was going to be one of those movies that was going to be massive or did you think maybe it would just be something that you could look for in a video store before you started no, filming no, it? <laughs> well yeah before starting filming it i mean i got i got the introduction to amir who was the director from one of the other bodyguards that worked with me with Sly, who had done mm. apparently some film with um amir and he said hey matt call amir he does these low budget films you need to get some videotape and he could probably hire you so walking in, I was just trying to get a part. And when I walk in and he's like, oh, you are perfect. Exactly what I'm looking for. And I'm like, this is great. How much are you going to pay me? And what kind of movie is it? And he basically said in a broad stroke, it was a lethal weapon, low budget ripoff. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Uh, I said, but I do have a problem because it says Samurai Cop. I said, I have zero experience. And I mean, I can fight and all that. But I, And he said, oh, don't worry. I'll make you look good. And I said, okay. So, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, not I. I just figured it was just going to be a good movie, and all of us in the beginning just thought, hey, this is a nice opportunity to get some footage, and obviously, being the lead of the movie, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and hopefully, that would parlay into more and more work. But we never knew it was going to be anything cult-wise. Even at the completion of it, we just thought, oh my god, I hope nobody sees this and it's gone forever. <laughs> but it didn't. I so think no, that no, you just... no, we didn't think anything no. about cult. That's crazy. I think uh, you, you basically want... answered Elise's. Uh question there say, she says is matthew a martial art cinema fan so did oh. you did you enjoy like for me best of the best and stuff like that. j mac absolutely loves uh the bruce lee movies for yourself did you yeah have... yeah yeah i love the bruce lee movies i watched those uh in the video store because they were kind mm -hmm. of odd movies that were kind of a niche i just love watching them it was just amazing the stuff that they did but i just thought it takes so many years of dedication to do that i was 
absolutely addicted and dedicated to weight training and, you know, mm-hmm. lifting weights, not so much bodybuilding, but you have to call it that because you're watching your diet and you're sculpting your body. But and I remember watching something iron. Mm-hmm. It was on video mm-hmm. back then. And that was inspirational. But yeah, martial art movies. Yeah. No, I mean, I like Von Damme and all those kind of things. And Chuck Norris, not so much. But Bruce Lee was just cool to watch. Very yeah. aesthetically, aesthetically just ripped and, and so fast, but never yeah. really had any uh, discipline to get into it. We learned pieces of different arts as bodyguards. We knew control holds, some judo stuff, mm-hmm. some Akio, but never yeah. formally. That's why I was so embarrassed for Gerald when we, him and I were doing scenes. He's a master. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Try to speak to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, as we know, I started goofing off with the Elvis Presley and rock and roll hands. Oh, just that because was, at, that a was... certain, at a certain point, <laughs> You know, Amir would say, Matthew, do something. I go, I don't know anything. <laughs> you said you would help me. <laughs> yeah, we have small amount of footage. You only had one take. So so I started goofing off, which I've said in other you know, interviews. It was disrespectful yeah. to Amir. But at a certain point after nine months, I was like, but anyway, so. <laughs> but yeah, no um, martial arts training. We, um, <laughs> when, when you got that script, did you um, did you look at the script and go, and did you see like, for when you read a script, you've got an, an an image in your mind of what the movie's going to be like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, I can't imagine how it turned out as how you exactly thought it was going to be. What did you see? Was it a Lethal Weapons ripoff when you saw it when you read the script, or did you have ideas that you thought maybe it could it could be something different from what it actually turned out? And what what was that? Um, I mean, initially, I think like most actors, you kind of thumb through just to see how many scenes am I going to be in. So I must have <laughs> missed the part where he said, you're the star. So you're going to be in pretty much every scene. Yeah. Yeah, reading it, the dialogue was very structured as our American old Western movies were with the dialogue. Hey, you come here. Hey, fire, shoot, bang. So I said, <laughs> hey, wait that a minute. And, and I, yeah, that kind of stuff. And I brought that up to Amir, but God bless him. That's his Iranian translation into, and mm-hmm. I think he said he wrote all these. Right. Maybe somebody helped him. But so I saw the cadence and how it was laid out. And he said, no, don't worry. You can change it or make it more hip or whatever. Uh, that obviously didn't happen. But a lot of that dialogue <laughs> was verbatim that we spoke. Yeah. And and like you guys made reference sometimes in my monologues, I, I, I was either irritated that, you know, I'm like you said, talking to a lamp off camera that's not even in the same. <laughs> I was trying as a bad actor, and I really want to make that clear. I was a horrible actor. And so my line readings were just shit line readings because Amir really wanted you to know the words. So I was focused more on remembering rather than being in the moment. I mean, mm-hmm. if we get into thespianism, but anyway, so that's, yeah, but reading it, uh, I, I just remember there was a lot of action. I thought, wow, this is going to be a pretty grandiose film, but the budget was not even near that. So I didn't know you know, what it was going to end up. And we slowly found out as things went along, but again, very <laughs> grateful to you if you had the mm-hmm. opportunity. I, I remember uh, talking to Kevin about the, you, you, you said that you're a bad actor, right? You, you said, I'm a bad actor. You're not. The, are the moments where oh, yeah. you 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 improvised your moment. You 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 improvised the 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 dialogue about the chicken in the in the next door neighbor's garden. You, that was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but you you were so natural. You you appeared so natural in front of the camera. But the the other part that I loved. I mean, you you said it was silly, but see when you, when you flicked the cop's hair and then hit your hand like you were a bad boy, I pissed myself laughing. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, it's- <laughs> <laughs> it's just stupid shit. I mean, some of the improv stuff, 
I mean, I was doing stand-up comedy at the same time I was doing actors. I love that because I could control the material and be more like me. There was really nobody like me in Hollywood. When I left Oregon, I really wanted to be like John Candy, actor, big giant guy, kind of what Dwayne Rock Johnson is now. Action movies, but funny. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, I loved doing stand-up, and that was fun because mm -hmm. I could control it, own it, and there was nobody really in Hollywood at the comedy store and, and, and these open mic nights doing what I did. But so I don't know. When Amir said, "Matt, make something up to talk while you're eating," and I, which was just <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah, those things in the second movie, I, I I tried to do a little bit more. But again, I'm more of a, a personality, cult personality, than an actor. I'm sure if I really had many takes and the uh, ability to go to a playback and watch and go, "Oh my God, those eyes look like Charlie Manson." Let me do it again. <laughs> what it is you know a, a ugly version of nicholas cage but um no, no. So, but anyway yeah i think eventually if we ever did do a three and the reason why i want to have so much creative control is because then i can be on it i think i'm too much self-aware of myself which mm. is very it's a death of an actor you can't you have to put yourself in a character but there was no character samurai cop all i knew was he's from san diego he's a cop that's it the rest <laughs> is just me Thinking yeah. I'm doing a great job acting, so it was just ridiculous. The how long? Uh, like, I mean, you you got uh, you walk in, into Amir's office. He's like, yeah, you're exactly what I'm looking for. You've got this. You've got your first movie. How long between thinking, yes, I've made it. I've got a movie to the moment where you went, oh, farts. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Maybe two. We started in June of '90, so obviously the fight scenes were. You see me like almost in a shirt just like this in the desert fighting or the san fernando valley with gerald it was like 90 degrees out and then when it got to october there would be days off amir would shoot for two or three days and then we wouldn't hear from him for a week because i thought he was developing the dailies looking and seeing what he had it was basically him just gathering more money uh to to finance the continuation of the movie and then slowly the big crew started dissipating there was no sound guy anymore with the with the body mics, uh, it was all boom mics. And that's why you see, even though it is bad acting, you see me escalating my tone when I'm speaking. And even though Mark's this close to me, I'm yelling in his face because Amir kept saying, louder, louder, we can't hear you. Like, so this is, you know, like I'm, come here, I have a secret. Can you hear me? You know, I was like, so I got that kind of cuckoo. And then we started saying, all right, this is kind of getting a little ridiculous. And then we just focused on what's going to be salvageable video clips that we can pull apart from the movie and show it to an agent and say, hey, look, I can do this. You know, I can act. Here's a little scene. It just became far and few between, which could be usable in the end, though. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good acting, but uh, you know, I don't know. I just think, again, I, I appreciated Amir's opportunity just to have me do it. And, and it was what it was as it, as it ended up, though. Mm. Um, so Damien Fairburn says, did Matthew consider leaving filming the movie at any point during the filming? Um, I suppose you probably get asked that a lot. No, but I mean, people, I, I got frustrated in, in the immaturity, obviously, at 26. Started goofing off and doing dumb stuff was disrespectful, but never thought we'd, because you wanted to finish. Then it became, you know, uh, a, a, a chore. But when we got to November and we had done so many reshoots and it was just basically Mark and I, and Amir said, okay, we're done. Then, then that was it. I thought, okay, November, no big deal. And then, of course, we all know I, I cut my hair, or <laughs> the people go. Because my agent said, hey, you know, no more parts for Tarzan in LA. So why don't you change your look? 
I cut it really short. And then uh, Amir had called me back in January of 91. And I thought it was time to pick up the movie, like you guys had mentioned. And it was him like, what have you done? And I'm like, and so he just said, we've got more to film. And I'm like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. So, yeah, off to the wig stop. I mean, we literally left that afternoon down the street from Amir's house or his office. So Hollywood Boulevard picked out a wig. And I thought, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw a temper. I'll help him out. Cause I thought they would be far away cut shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, it wouldn't be that noticeable, but you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, I mean, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you were with, were you wearing a wig? I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? It's just bad hair days those days. It's very, it's very, it kind of looks like my hair now, but yeah. Just, <laughs> that was the problem. In the winter, the months, the, the humidity, the wig would curl up. We didn't have a hair grow. I was brushing it every day. There was pieces of grass and all kinds of crap, but I'd just stick it on and a mirror would come and flatten it on my head and Okay. But I didn't even think then how ridiculous it would look. I mean, I just thought, okay, maybe it looks good. I don't know. But when we see the finished product and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And in, in one in one sequence, it would be my real hair running up to a wall, peek around the corner, it's the wig, back to me, and then back to the Emmy. So I was just like, oh my God, this is so anyway, I started to understand why everybody loved the nonsense. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's actually in every frame of the movie. If you're trying to write down something, oh, that was funny. Let me write it down. You just missed four things, either technically, <laughs> acting-wise, yep. somebody's casting that Amir had put on. Because he did amazing casting, like you guys talked about, the gang members and all uh-huh. these. He would see him on the street and said, you want to be in a movie? And, and they would just show up. But there was no continuity in the Japanese yeah. gang were all white or the New York guys were all white. <laughs> so that's where it became really uh, a magical thing that Amir had with his casting that you got to give him, you know, credit for. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Full <laughs> <Still> credit. <laughs> yeah, I've got no comment. Craig Matthew Man says, I have probably watched Samurai Cop more than I've watched all the Rocky movies and Little Weapons oh, combined. Sly should... Hey, hey. Said Sly should definitely give you a part in Expendables 4. Mate, that would be the absolute <laughs> best. By the way, we should hashtag that and make it a trend, right? Yeah. So Sly that... sees it. That would be incredible. They, they, I think they tried that a couple of years ago, the Expendables film crew. And I want to yeah. say something about Sly. Sly always knew towards the end of us, me working with him, he knew I wanted to get into acting. I was mm-hmm. always, like I said, doing stand-up. For his oldest son, Sage, who has passed away, was very mm-hmm. young at the time. I would be imitating Sly in the movies, doing all the scenes. And so Sly knew I had a knack for imitating even people around the office, other bodyguards. Mm-hmm. He knew eventually I wanted to move on, but he would not... Uh, um, give me that first opportunity or break because he said, I don't want people to think that, you know, you got your help from me. If you get it on your own, of mm-hmm. course, Sly would always be there. I assume, you know, would say, Hey, absolutely. Let me help you out. You got your own thing going now. And he always cautioned me that, you know, if you try to do action with the slight similarity that we have, um, they're going to typecast you as a Stallone clone, whatever. But in low budget movies, they're going to, exploit that and put you on the cover and then you know oh it's not rambo but it's a guy that looks like him and it's like a product of uh, dish soap it's like new and improved yeah this was yeah. sly but here's a younger version taller mm-hmm. whatever you know yeah. 
So yeah. I understood that. But yeah, I don't think you put me in the expendable. I would probably yeah. break in half with these guys. Everybody, I think one of the prerequisites <laughs> is that you got to be on HGH. All these guys are just yoked. <laughs> no. I mean, even Mel Gibson, I'm like, what the fuck? I come in as this puny little lassie. <laughs> no, that's not going <laughs> to. I'm telling you right now, right? There would be applause in the cinema if you walked on the if you walked on screen on an expendables movie Absolutely. as an inside joke to that little niche of yeah these fans out there yeah there's a lot in the gaming industry and, and cult movies but i don't mm -hmm. know i just don't think mainstream that would be kind of a miracle to cross over <laughs> how much would you you would jim right, if we we're sitting in the cinema and matt comes on uh on the expendables oh movie, would you not but... just like yes uh, I would be... you might, yeah <laughs> I mean, otherwise we do a uh, uh, we do a B rate a B movie version of the Expendables with Tommy Wiseau, myself, the guys from Pandemic, some of the that would Me. be funny, but you know, oh. I don't know, you know. Yes, hey, hey, right. you've got hey, you've got some good ideas there. I don't know where. I reckon that would be. Oh, I've got plenty of good ideas, but I'm 57 and time's running out. When Father Time <laughs> catches up, nobody wants to see the wrinkled old broom up there on the. Uh, screen they're so mark, wrong mark fraser's so like yeah, i mean older than i am and he's like man we got to hurry up and do at least one good attempt at, at a movie and no uh, again oh, no disrespect to either director i appreciated mm -hmm. greg hatanaka for the second movie and and mm -hmm. in the end i want people to understand because i have talked to amir's son even though we mock or, or you know amir had a goal to make money with those movies and mm -hmm. if he spent 10 or thirty thousand on samurai cop in the end, yeah. he sold that for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he mm -hmm. was a shrewd businessman. He knew, let's sell nudity, which is why we have mm -hmm. those blatant scenes, action. And <laughs> he played off of the, you know, uh, lethal weapon lookalike stuff. So he mm -hmm. did really have a, 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 a lucrative financial career in the five films that he did. I think Samurai Cop was maybe the third or fourth of what mm -hmm. he did. But um, and I wish he was, you know, still around because I would love to hear his point of view of this app. Yeah, you know, what it became, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Damien Fairburn says here, I have to ask Matthew's opinion on the fluent Japanese, but can't pronounce a Japanese name scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was written. It was written that way, where it says, "Are you Fuji Fujiyama?" <laughs> and he he had it in in the script that way. But I wasn't thinking. Um, oh, I'm supposed to have fluent Japanese. I mean, I wasn't that far ahead. I was just reading. Yeah. But it was written that way, and I, I do laugh when they say that. And then when I'm telling, I think this, the uh, police station scene where I'm sitting on the desk, that was improvised um, uh, when I said, uh, so anyway, I'm sitting there talking to Yamaha, Homaha, whatever his name is. <laughs> that, that was an improvised scene where I made that up. But again, yeah, you're not saying the uh, anything in fluent Japanese, except for katana, I guess, was the only yeah. It means Japanese katana sword. Mean, oh. Japanese sword that I know. <laughs> oh man, that's that's really fun. It's so... really fun to, to watch this movie with with audiences because that's where I I get my most enjoyment. See, mm -hmm. I've seen the riff tracks. I was at the riff tracks live when they did it. Oh here in LA. man, yeah. And mm -hmm. um, but yeah, traveling around even when I was in the premiere in in London and and so on for the second movie, it's just fun to be with those fans and and just see. And when I was in Madrid, Spain. It's not, uh, they're yelling at the screen, kind of, you know, like, uh, yeah. it's in it's Spanish, so I couldn't understand them when I was in Madrid for that film festival, but it's, I don't care what where you're from, it's just universal, the nonsense that goes on <laughs> in, in this movie, but. 
we uh, we we have access to a, a local cinema that we do a lot of work with. We actually do another show called The Box Office Banter, where we review their movies, etc. If you are ever in the UK, we one hundred percent will have to do a Samurai Cop screening where we get you oh, a yeah. big meet and greet. That would be amazing. So next time you're in the yeah. UK, drop us an email and we'll definitely set that up. That'd be that'd be something else. Yeah, I've had a lot of people that when I came over. I mean, when we get done with this fucking corona nonsense traveling i, I don't need shit yeah. stuck up my nose and all the other but yeah uh, hopefully we can get back to normal where people can travel i'd love to because I, I really enjoy that um and meeting with people and, and it's just fun for them to have questions i absolutely and we find as well that uh we've done quite a few uh screenings with actors g tom mack from lost boys uh braveheart and some of the cast from braveheart and we pat we sell out the place and people come along and they love the the interaction part of it so you get to experience the movie with the actor but then you also get to get to know the actor for that evening and that again it's just it's always been it's something we love to do jay mackie yeah it's, it's, yeah it's it, yeah it's kind of like i've always enjoyed behind the scenes documentaries so i guess that's mm -hmm. kind of what people have told me they get from me because mm -hmm. i was always worried i would spoil the magic when this first started six years ago if they didn't understand what was going on and that's why they loved it I thought mm. if I kind of tell you a backstory, would it ruin? And they said, no, it actually heightened it even more because then it's even funnier <laughs> that was going on or this was what you guys were thinking you know, with the lion head mm. and all this other shit going on that we weren't yeah. even looking or thinking about. But I, I, uh, but we always, like I say, we always do a lot. Of, I mean, it's not so much, it doesn't feel like research because we love it and we seek it anyway in our own time but i couldn't find any behind the scenes stuff on samurai cop and uh, i think it would be amazing to see a samurai cop behind the scenes documentary that'd be amazing to get all of the cast that that are obviously still with us and yeah. sit them down and do the whole you know where did it begin because i mean every, there's a lot of you guys are uh, like a wee family so when we see <laughs> yeah. Like when you see in the Samurai Cop 2 that the, the same guys are back, it just fills you with warmth because they could have just taken your character and done something completely different because you are the focal point. But the fact that the effort was oh, made they, to bring they back... did something different. <laughs> you, you, you definitely did something different with yeah, the second yeah. film. Um, oh, well, yeah. Greg, Greg's vision was a little different than what I would have wanted to do. I've always felt uh, Mark and I were a team. I didn't always consider myself the star of the movie. It was a buddy mm -hmm. cop movie. And Mark and I, I've always considered equals. Even in the sequel, mm -hmm. I wanted that to take place. I get yeah. that I'm the samurai cop, but a lot of the love that people had was the relationship between Mark and I and the banter back and forth. Mm -hmm. It was written, the racial whatever slights and so on um, yeah, yeah. but yeah that's that's something that and um janice who played the blonde girl in the first movie my love interest that i take to church mm -hmm. and so on initially yeah. when i reached out to her about the sequel she wanted nothing to do with it she was um, uh -huh. married at the time her husband actually had a martial arts studio and she just didn't want the attention for her children I, I, she was a great actress but i think it's the nudity maybe you know she didn't want people to see. She was a beautiful model, and and but anyway, they're all still around. Robert, we lost, almost had him during the sequel filming, but mm. yeah, the two times we wanted him to fly out, and then he passed away. But yeah, Gerald mm. and 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 all those guys are just great people. It's an ensemble piece. I would love to find the horny nurse. I still never. I don't know her name. I don't know <laughs> where she is, but she's such a pivotal, you know, icon of of all um, the clips YouTube and based, everything else. But. Based on her line readings, I don't think she knows what her name is. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, was, uh, she was uh she was a good girl i mean like i said in some of the interviews i remember her auditioning for that part 
in Amira's office. I happened to be there and he says, Matt, go read with her and see if she's, and she actually grabbed my crotch in the actual <laughs> part, part of the scene in the rehearsal. It's just her and I in the room. And I didn't think anything of it. Except, oh, wow. She's a thespian. She's a real, you know, uh, <laughs> actress anyway. But, but uh, we got along great. She had a boyfriend and everything. And she was trying to get a starting up career also. And, in Hollywood, but I, I don't know if we all, I, we all knew the, the line was just absurd. The, Hey, what do you got? And how big is it? This and that, <laughs> but we just did it. And, and um, I don't know. I, it just didn't hit us. I think once we had got over the shock of the absurdity of the lines, we just said them. Yeah. Maybe that's good. Cause then it, 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 we, we weren't in on it. We were given our best acting yeah. with those lines, <laughs> but yeah, I'd love to get them all back together again and, and, and be- see uh, behind the scenes there was a documentary made of the second movie which greg still mm-hmm. has not released called enter the samurai which I, he hasn't put it together yet with you know uh-huh. what we did during the filming of the second one which was pretty good a rough cut i saw that'd be amazing that'd be pretty yeah. cool <laughs> heather Dow says on a side note matthew's hair is awesome so silky silky <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's hanging in there. Yeah, we'll see how much longer it stays in my head. But yeah, at this point, it's like a pet. I can't get rid of it. I've had it for so many years. I mean, the other thing that I kept since the movie, if you remember in the first movie, the red Honda Prelude that I drove in the, the scenes that had Oregon plates, Mark yeah, and I, yeah. when we came up, yep. I still have that car. It's got like 770,000 miles still in mid condition. The license plate is S-A-M-R-I-C-P. Samurai ah, no way. People all the time pull up on the freeways in LA, they honk, and that was my inside joke. They know who I am and what that means. So anyway, but it's just funny. I thought if we can get it to the third movie, that would be amazing. The car has had because we bought it brand new in 1986 and I've had it ever since. But That's anyway, it's just amazing. The hair in the car, I'm I'm trying to keep just in case they're gonna do one more. Somebody comes up. I mean, the only way that I think it would work is um with Netflix. And I only say that because it is a platform that's worldwide and the, mm-hmm. the fan base is kind of worldwide. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the guy that runs Netflix, similar background as me, he grew up in a video store too. He has a, a, an affinity for those kind of movies. And I think if, he, if I sat down and kind of pitched and he saw the whole scheme of things, first movie, second movie, what it is, I think it would be fun to just do one more and it would probably cross over to mainstream yeah, as an interesting movie, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's always what I say, but I, I can't do another movie unless there's enough money to finish it or do it creatively yeah. the way that we wanted to, which Greg couldn't do in the second movie, and it ended up being whatever it ended up being, too. So oh, I can imagine. J Mac, you want to read that comment? Yep. You just want me to read this because you can't say that name. Ah. Tell me, tell me the <laughs> truth. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, that, this is uh, from Farid Jamal Khan. Uh, Janice is on the cover oh, of you Run. <laughs> Janice is on the cover of Young Rebels in a thong, but she's not in it. But the horny nurse actress needs to be in Samurai Cop 3. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If we could find and a shout out to Farid. I know him. We met yeah, when yeah. I was the, uh, in the uh, London at the premiere at uh, Prince Edwards or whatever it was theater Brilliant. of Samurai Cop 2. So good to, good to hear from you. Um, he looks like a, that's a big dude. Yeah, he's yeah. a big dude. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a real action fighter. I mean, he's a great actor and wow. he does action movies. So he's somebody that we would definitely I would put in to say, "All right, make me look good in this scene." <laughs> but yeah, Amir Amir did a lot of the same locations from his earlier movies. Used the same people. Janice might have been in the movie, maybe not, but he would switch and add. You think he mixed and matched things to make them, like I said earlier, marketable for him mm. to sell that movie overseas. 
and Janice was a beautiful girl. I mean, she had a gorgeous body. She was a Wilhelmina model. And, and she, again, also was just trying to get some, some footage and some tape and, you know, mm -hmm. did good. It was odd for me because her boyfriend at the time was on set most of the time. And <laughs> her and I are kissing. The very first scene we did together, my first day of filming, was in the pool when we're swimming and she gets out and then we go have lunch or whatever. I mean, it's mm -hmm. out of context, but that was the first time we met. Uh, and then I was always really conscious, and I've said this before, I've always felt the girls were always nude, and I was, I mean, I, of course, had the black bikini on. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was always conscious that they were uncomfortable, but Amir wanted to see that, and he loved seeing the, the beautiful girls naked. And that the one scene that you did make comment with the helicopter girl, Melissa, I knew personally, yeah. I met her, she had actually sent a photo into Sly's office, the production office for lockup. And I thought, mm. wow, she's really pretty. And I kind of met with her and talked with her and found out she was an actress, too. So when this movie came up, I said, hey, you want to be in a movie I'm in? And she's like, yeah, thanks for the <laughs> she, had, she had she had fun doing it. But in the in the love scenes, you know, it was kind of goofy, uncomfortable. <laughs> I agree. You... Also, I was mad. I had just had an argument with Amir prior to that scene where I said, I don't know why this character's having sex with all these women if he really loves Jennifer. Just do it. Go. Come on. <laughs> so I thought I'm just going to be an asshole and sit here. I'm just going to do nothing and not yeah. give any so that he won't use it. But of course he did. And um, but poor, Melissa, you know, she's up there writhing and I'm over grinding and underpants. It was just ridiculous. And I just thought, Why are we doing this? But you do what you do. And, you know, looking back on it, like I said, it's almost like a soft porn. <laughs> That's I, actually what you said leads on perfectly to my next question. Uh, my next, written in front of me, I said, "Did you ever argue with Amir on set? For example, when the wig fell off and he didn't want to do another take?" No, by that 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 was the only day. That was my first first day. Like I said, shooting. We had shot oh, yeah, the scene yeah. in the pool mm -hmm. with uh, Janice. And we did the kiss. Then it was out of context. Then we shot the bedroom scenes. He thought he would. And then he actually shot Robert Zadar's love scene with the redhead girl. Different bedroom, <laughs> same day also. He thought, let me get all this sex stuff in one day. But that was the only time <laughs> I said something. And then he reacted a little bit. And I thought, okay, I'm going to respect whatever he wants to do. I should just be quiet. And then after that, no, I didn't. Uh, when the wig fell off when we were filming, me and Gerald are cracking up. I mean, we were just laughing. It's in the middle of winter. And, and uh uh, so we were just, we just even on the scene when uh, Robert puts me up against the tree and the wig is just like in my face completely ridiculous <laughs> but I I was always trusting because because like I said there was no playback so I didn't know uh -huh. I just assumed Amir and Peter Pallion who was the cinematographer liked what they saw and it's good mm -hmm. and we're done let's move on <laughs> and we did use different footage like you said some is day stock footage some is night mm -hmm. amir just took anything that was 35 millimeter didn't care <laughs> and if we had to light it with a, a flashlight scene that's what we did but that's guerrilla <laughs> filmmaking and that's how determined he was to get this mm. thing done and you know finish it that's amazing uh, i read also and we had said this in the past podcast did you show up for work one day and amir's like you're putting a guy out on fire <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mark and I, we didn't know. I, I, I always drove uh, Mark to, to the uh, set with me because he lived nearby me in West L.A. So I would pick him up because he didn't drive. He was from New York. Uh, I don't know if that's an excuse. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, we showed up at with the desert location where we fought a lot of the scenes and where that ranch uh, is up on, on, on the top where we had some gun shootout scenes. 
And he says, okay. And I, when we pulled up, the guy was already slathering that, that stuff on him to, yeah. uh, to not burn, I guess. And I go, what are we doing? He goes, this is the scene where the man will crash, will catch fire. Mark and I are looking at him. And you and Mark will put him out with this big fire extinguisher. And I'm thinking, well, where's the real fire people? Where's the ambulance? So, and Mark, Mark's just looking at me, you know, what? <laughs> and he had a blanket. So we actually, and it was one take. That was, that's all we did was that one take. And, um, I mean, we did a cutaway of us going to the trunk to grab the stuff, but yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we, we sprayed him with that little dinky Dixie cup fire extinguisher <laughs> and we covered him and then uh, Amir said cut. And then when I took the blanket off, he was still on fire. <laughs> so we put it down and that's why he's looking at us like, are you guys done or, you know, <laughs> and Amir paid him uh, maybe 500 bucks and the guy left. And I mean, that, did, that was did you, crazy. Did you know that the, the guy, uh, the stuntman that you were putting out was a completely different ethnicity to the guy that he was supposed to be in the van? Yeah. But I, I, again, I thought Amir wouldn't, would cheat the shot or, you know, how they do it in movies where you don't really see. Yeah. Because the, the, the actual, the, the, the Hispanic guy, that was his van that he owned. He was helping out on production for Amir. <laughs> and I believe he did put a little money up as a producer towards the end when things started to need some more money. And Amir said, well, you give me a couple grand, I'll let you be a producer. But yeah, he was uh, definitely, and I think he's the guy in the hospital that they put up with the jelly. <laughs> he had to do that all day too. But uh, a lot of people did a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of Amir's friends helped out. Uh, yeah. You know, the gangsters with the boat, the rental boat, those are all Amir's friends. <laughs> A lot of the locations <laughs> that we shot at were Amir's friends. I mean, they're Iranian. They have a lot of wealth, beautiful homes in Malibu, like where we shot mm. the the scenes with the bulletproof yeah. vest and the outside tennis court stuff. That was all done there in in, in Malibu. So, yeah. but yeah, it's just I mean, it's amazing. There's so many things you could talk for hours about. Even <laughs> if we watched the movie and froze frame, I could tell you shit. But you know, at a certain uh -huh. point, you're like enough. We don't care. That's why. <laughs> that's why we need to do a live screening. That's exactly uh, yes, the reason. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, but you. I don't know how you get through it. There's got to be alcohol, definitely, for people to. There's a bar. The go on. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I think right it would there. be fun. Sure. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, we've got a question here from Jelsey J Mac. What's that? Ecker. Uh, that's uh, Jelsey. Ekegren again, or Ekegren, whatever. Ekegren. Anyway, whatever, uh, whatever. To Steve the cop, <laughs> Steve the, the the white guy with the jerry curls. <laughs> another, uh, uh, another random uh, casting that Amir did, you know, in his office because that guy showed up that day in that whole cop outfit. And you know, God bless the kid. I mean, his acting's no worse than mine. I mean, he's a little bit more with the eyes too, but. Um, it is worse than yours. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it was. I know, I know you. I know you need to. You need um, to be polite. But uh, as a as a film viewer, oh, uh, I mean, yeah. you, you know, I mean, I I was bluffing my way through. I mean, even in that scene, I was fucking around because there was that was a real urgent care facility that Amir had bluffed his way into, and I told people he made uh, reference. Oh, this is uh, Stallone's uh, brother. Uh, that's going to be here today filming a scene. Do you mind if we shoot a couple in there? Oh, absolutely not. You know, and I didn't know that, but I found out later. And it doesn't make that's sense because we're Frank. not even the same age. <laughs> exactly. But, um, that girl was an actual nurse that worked there, and she was, you know, cute. So you see me in the scene oh. as she walks by. I'm turning around. 
being Joe, <laughs> the flirt, you know, staring at her and so on and so forth. But yeah, he was a good, I mean, he was fine. The guy, I just thought it was funny. Like you guys said, Hey, call security. It's like, you are security. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't say anything during filming about that. You know, we just let it roll and God. <laughs> You can't, you can't, you really can't beat it. Uh, Craig Roberts says, tough question, but does Matthew know the rough budget for the film? I, I think his son, when I spoke with him, I think it was $30,000 Amir had spent, I believe, and I could be wrong. And I'd love to get even Amir's son, who's now a, a practicing attorney here. And he was a young kid when I was filming, um, mm. to come on and, and give a little bit more backstory about Amir and even more stuff about all of the movies, particularly. I think Samurai Cop like I said, of the five movies of Amir's, if you watch them, was a culmination finally of some kind of weird magic that happened. Mm -hmm. But it was same dialogue, same kind of absurd nude scenes or fight scene. You know. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was 30,000. Like I said, I thought, I think he sold it for three or 400,000, I believe. I, back mm -hmm. then at, at the film arts, you sold territories, Scotland mm -hmm. or you know, Uruguay or whatever. And so, so I think he did make some good money. So he was, he did what he wanted to do, which was to provide for his family, make movies because he enjoyed doing that. And, um, you know, keep all of us <laughs> happy here 30 years later. <laughs> Heather Dow says, hilarious. I need to watch this again. Again, like I said, people can just keep watching this movie again and again, because it's something that, you know, it does, yeah. get, you don't get tired of it. How many times do you watch it? Do you watch it often? No, I mean, unless I've been there to watch it in screenings with audiences live, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll see it. But in the beginning, I remember watching it and then I just was like, oh. and I would try to pick little scenes to put together. I, I just couldn't. I remember showing <laughs> it to my parents because I said, hey, my movie. <laughs> and I sent it off. And now I'm thinking, oh, my God, they must have been like, what the fuck is our kid doing? <laughs> I mean, it was just absurd. But I'm just thinking, oh, it's a great movie. and. <laughs> On it a side note, has nobody has any, nobody has any questions yet of the very effeminate Audrey Hepburn photo of my daughter <laughs> behind me yet on the why is Matt that's in his amazing. attic with a picture of Audrey Hepburn from Breakfast at Tiffany's? That's it's my daughter's that's not... like I told these guys I stored all the stuff yeah. for my kids in my attic here at the house. Uh, hey, that's that's not an attic. That's that's a man cave. That's that's what that is. You sell that uh, as yeah. a man cave, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's getting hot in here today up here in the attic. I'm gonna get out of here. Uh, Damien Fairburn says, how would Matthew write his perfect script for the Samurai Cop 3? Oh, I kind of already have done a treatment where it would be fun oh. for the fans. We were just going to kind of take it all over. It picks up on the 30-year anniversary. I mean, it, it would have. But with Mark retiring from the LAPD as a uh, police chief, and uh, then him and myself were heading off on a vacation because it's his retirement with our wives. We head off to Tenerife, Spain, and... and everything ensues and things end up traveling us from there to Madrid, to London, back to LA, to San Diego and kind of wrap it all up. We were going to try to do the final scene at Comic-Con in San Diego uh, oh. because there's a huge fan base there uh, yeah. and just tie it all together. But yeah, I, I, I have a, you know, a basic formula that would work. I mean, it's not that difficult because we're kind of a, a niche film and just like Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, I'm not trying to say they're the same, but if you look at Mission mm -hmm. Impossible, it's a basic storyline with beautiful locations, mm -hmm. um, amazing stunts, which we wouldn't do. But if you, <laughs> if you sell it, you know, Tenerife and Madrid and the fan bases in all of these locations are massive. 
it's kind of a tip of the hat to thank you guys all for 30 years of whatever. Mm -hmm. And Mark and I are just following whatever the plot is, chasing down the bad guy. Um, and then, like I said, to London, may have to stop in Scotland now. Maybe just a quick little. Hey, hey, yes. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> back to New York. And then you show some of the icon stuff there, L.A. And then San Diego, where it all began, poor Joe, and just kind of wrap it up. And that was supposed to be what we were going to start last June. Um, but, you know, pandemic came and everything else. Oh, yeah, that's, video that's really annoying else. when you're when you're trying to make a film and then the pandemic gets in the way that's quite annoying isn't yeah, it Kevin? i mean yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> maybe it was uh maybe it was a blessing by the going no 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 just stop by your head two's enough <laughs> three <laughs> three is not a charm so don't get excited you could i could see them working it in that uh samurai cop actually defeats the, co the coronavirus well yeah now you try to, you, you'd want to come up with something but yeah the katana <laughs> was behind it from the beginning and <laughs> i don't know yeah, that's the tagline for the movie coronavirus has to go for samurai cop tests <laughs> yeah yeah every time getting swabbed god that's irritating <laughs> craig matthewman says samurai cop versus predator i would watch that <laughs> no. <laughs> come on do it come on yeah, ready to, ready to... yeah i don't know well, that that anything me mainstream i gotta stay out of that light I, like i said uh, them pairing me and tommy wiseau up for the second movie uh, yeah Cop, awesome. was 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 funny because it's like you know pacino and de niro and heat finally meeting I, that's how i like it I gotta but um that guy was a trip i mean he's an amazing yeah. uh, talent and personality but him and i in the fight scenes with live katana swords that they had on set i'm, the, I'm i go he's not remembering choreography i'm ready for my arm to be chopped off like i did to my buddy and <laughs> yeah a little squirting blood coming out yeah yeah that was the skinniest arm stub I i've know, ever it's seen just so, and i'm thinking why didn't they peter should have said oh amir it looks too fake but they just went with it the paintballs <laughs> shooting at the black guy he had a plastic um cover on under his black shirt so the paintballs were hitting him there and then it was a roman candle hitting the car with the sparks <laughs> so, and we're all sitting there with the mirror he had, these, he had a special a special effects guy there to do those things but yeah it was just crazy funny my favorite my favorite one is the the the, the guy at the end uh, i think it's it's uh <laughs> it's frank that shoots him and he just doesn't know how to take a gunshot it's like oh the big the big uh yeah the black yeah, guy with the jerry curl that's fantastic yeah i yeah. don't think he wanted to get dirty it was very dirty up there and he had a white shirt i don't think he wanted to fall <laughs> i don't know but again, yeah he uh, amir straight picked him out of south central cast i think he was crips and blood i mean he had a lot of gang i mean different people because mm. amir would wander around in his area in silver lake california and randomly see people that's how he found uh fujiyama eating dinner with his <laughs> wife in chinatown and he just walked up to his table and goes do you want to be in a movie and the guy's like, get out of here. And he kept on him. And then, and so that's why I'm saying even Cranston Kimura, who plays Fujiyama, uh, w did a great job as an actor. He's not even an actor. He works at the uh, some uh, L.A. housing project, you know, helps people that need uh, help with rent assistance and this and that, I wow. think. So it was just funny. Like I said, again, the casting of Amir brought this potpourri of different people. And it all visually is very entertaining to watch every scene. So, what, what was but he did a what great was job. Robert? What was Robert Zadar like? We didn't have that many scenes together except for the end fight scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Very professional. I met him. I, I and I said before when Sly was filming Tango and Cash, I was on set mm -hmm. with him at Warner Brothers, and that was wow. the day when uh, 
um, Robert was filming his part because he was in Tango, Tango and Cash as Face, mm -hmm. they called him. Yeah. And uh, I re referenced <laughs> that and said, I remember meeting you many years ago and so on and so forth. I thought it was odd him being in the Screen Actors Guild and a pretty, you know, done mainstream movies was doing this kind of movie, which is for beginners mm -hmm. just trying to get some. But Amir paid him pretty well. And I didn't realize he'd done other films with Amir. Uh, but he just loved acting. He was a, he was a professional. And he did a good job, and he took it serious. He never goofed around, uh, mm -hmm. and you see that in his scenes. He's very you know professional. But yeah, him and I basically just waddled our way through the buckling <laughs> yeah. uh, sword side fight, and he, you know. But yeah, good dude. And I wish he would have been around for the sequel. That would have been good. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Um, he didn't age that well. I mean, alcohol took its toll on him, but it still would have been yeah. a nice thing to have him there along with the other people that we rounded up. Mm -hmm. uh, Farid says, uh, is Farid how you say it, J-Mackie? Uh, Farid, yep. Farid, uh, he says, is Matt open to working on projects? Should he like the pitch? I think he's offering you a job here live on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I'm not an actor. I, I get, you know, where people like, they said, oh, we'd love to see you do something else. But it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I mean, of course, everybody always says, oh, if the money's right. But at this point, it's like, is there an interest? I, I just don't like seeing people, even the money that was put up for the second movie, yeah. you never make your money back. And we did it for the fans. And so that's why the, the third movie would either be have to be somewhat crowdfunded or paid for by somebody else so that you could just mm -hmm. enjoy it. I'm sure it would earn some dough. But um, yeah, other people putting these movies together, they, I've been asked to do a couple movies and, and I just don't, I don't know. I don't think I've <laughs> anything that's worth watching uh, as far as acting wise. Who knows? I, I should say we'll leave it open. I mean, obviously, if Quentin Tarantino called, and I've said this before, he's the one mm -hmm. that had brought up to when I was in Madrid, one of the film producers, uh, he said, the, the way I found out about your movie was Quentin Tarantino and I were having lunch at the Chateau Marmont in Hollywood. And he said, you've got to see this movie. It's called Samurai Cop. And that makes sense because those are the movies that Quentin would gravitate to these crazy martial art movies but mm. if he said hey i'd love to put you in one of my movies of course i'm like whatever you need me to do i don't you know i mean to a <laughs> point but you know yeah, yeah. so you never know i mean i shouldn't say never never but like i said at 57 years old i'm i, I don't know if you want to see me up on well, look at it this way with regards to never say never right you guys made that movie in 1991 and how many years passed with it being just completely in the dark right and then who would have thought that it's got such the following that it does now. There's such yeah. a love for it, you know? So stranger things happen, right? So yeah, you, yeah. you really never know. And uh, I, I always reference Brian Cranston because I read his book <laughs> and uh, all his like best him. work didn't come till he was late and he has like fifties because he had done really good parts, really good, good parts in different TV series, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, X-Files and stuff yeah, yeah. That, were, that were to him, they were like jobs because he wasn't the main star. Yeah, and then he became Heisenberg, and at yeah. that point, that's when he became a rock star, and that was later into his life, you know. So, I I, I always look at it as it can happen at any time, and if you're if the timing's right and you're ready for it, then why not? Eh? It's just one of those yeah. things. And I, I don't know, maybe it. I'm just being uh, spoiled and selfish. Like I said, if it was done, the third one to to at least so Mark and I can feel like. Well, we, we at least did something good from start to finish. And I don't know if the fans mm -hmm. want to see a good film, but whatever that would be. Then, yeah, after that, if it gets crossed over into mainstream and then things go from there, I, I guess. But like I said, I'm more of a I love stand up. I've always, like I said, enjoyed that because I could control it. Mm -hmm. But now, 
yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I, I enjoy uh, people reach out every once in a while and, and want to talk about it. And it just keeps going and going in my everyday life over the last six years, Trader Joe's, which are some of the local grocery stores, more and more mm-hmm. kids recognize me, which is hilarious. Yeah. Even with my mask on it when I had it during <laughs> the time. Hey, you're yeah. Samurai Cop. Of course, I still aesthetically look almost the same, but uh, it's just not gone away and it keeps growing. I don't know how it keeps perpetuating. If it's YouTube, the clips, if it's being suggested to people. So I believe mm-hmm. for anybody that's really looking to a studio or, you know, like a Netflix, there is a built in fan base there. And most people, if you if you had a billboard and they go, oh, I, I've heard of that or I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Someone knows about it. Yeah, I believe it could parlay into something. And um, but yeah, my my mug's attached to all that, so we'll see. Maybe that's part of the reason I never cut my hair. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm a creature of habit. Like I said, I've kept the same car for thirty years. I've kept the same ridiculous look uh, for thirty years. Like when I was growing up, the guys that had the long hair were the deadhead Grateful Dead guys, and they were hippies from the seventies. I'm that guy from the eighties now, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. I'm... You mentioned before, because uh, you were really jacked uh, in the first movie. <laughs> uh, really, it was a really impressive physique. Did you do any wrestling? No, no, no. <laughs> no, never, no I was, never done anything. Yeah, I was 270 when I started with Sly as a bodyguard, 270 mm. pounds. He had asked uh, me to drop a little weight because when we would go in public, it was pretty obvious. We would try to not be right next to him, but they could tell, oh, he's a bodyguard, he's a bodyguard. So he asked me to, to kind of trim down a little bit. And I was getting ready to get married in June of uh, 88 that year. I started with uh, Sly in April of 88. So I got on this diet, asked the guy in the gym, hey, give me something to eat. So I changed the diet, lost 30 pounds and thought I was like super sexy, whatever. But I'm still a big <laughs> blob. Uh, but then being around Sly and seeing how ripped it, and I really started getting into the vanity and the narcissism of, Okay, now I'm going to go from a character actor, a big guy, and now I'm becoming a leading man, which I didn't realize that was what I was kind of setting myself to do. And then, mm-hmm. so, well, yeah, when we filmed Samurai Cop the first one, I was 230 pounds, probably there. Uh, the sequel hit, which I was probably 180 or what, I don't know, some wafy. But I, like I said, I never wanted to get into the steroids and this and that. So that was kind of my pride. If I was doing a 420-pound bench press clean at 270 pounds, of course, I'm 25 years old. That was something that I can always know I did it on my own. It wasn't because I was shooting shit in me. And I'm not downing anybody that does that, but I wanted to own whatever I did. So as I got yeah. older, you know, we start to lose yeah. testosterone. I, I still have my same shape, but I don't have the mass. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, and God bless, it's not like a secret. Sly has always been into the HGH. And you can see that to him. And I, I've made endearing comments that to me, he looks like the Italian version of Shrek because it really changes your molecular <laughs> he looks a little odd but feels great yeah. sly had yeah. many injuries from many many years of stunts and so on so that's helped him get through it but the mm-hmm. aesthetics and i don't know the long-term damage that that can cause but a lot of people are into that hormone therapy i just always wanted to be clean and and, and not get into anything but yeah as far as you know weight that's yeah. basically what i weighed during that but i didn't think i was super ripped but no, you, you can really always impressive. you can always tell uh, a natural from unnatural. Um, mm. I mean, in Samurai, Samurai Cop, I mean, y- you can tell that it's natural. It's, it's hard work to look like you did in Samurai Cop, man. That's yeah. that's impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you, I think you can always tell, and especially I think the 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 the, the more the years have gone by and the more HGH people are taking and stuff, 
I, I, there's just something weird about the distended abs. Like it's it's almost like it, yeah, it looks like a beer yeah. belly. It almost looks like a beer belly, but it's ripped. It's so bizarre. Looking. Yeah, and, it, and it, which is odd. And then the jawline becomes a little bit more prominent. And you know, structurally, the head just the cranium <laughs> grows. And I'm not picking on anybody. Obviously, they all squashed me like a bug. And, and some people, they, they all enjoy doing it, and that's cool. But, you know, the Expendables cast, like I said, even uh, Mel Gibson um, is doing some type of therapy. I know he's talked on a couple podcasts with Joe Rogan about his father taking some stem cell stuff, which is yeah. all cool if that's what you want yeah. to do. But to me, I just think things don't match your age. As you get older, you got to look a certain – so I just figured I got to just grow old the way I grow old and deal with whatever – arthritic problems i'm gonna end up you know having yeah. grown gracefully yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so we're not gonna keep you much longer this. <laughs> hey well hey you pretty much haven't really aged to be honest <laughs> what your face is yeah if we were up close mark hasn't aged but he always says hey man black don't crack so don't worry <laughs> I'm like 15 or 17 years older than i am and he looks fantastic so yeah wow it's, it's, it's just health and diet and how you you know your life you've lived mm -hmm. so aside from samurai cop is there much like have you got mm -hmm. stuff in the works of stuff coming up i think i think you'd be great to attend all the kind of comic conventions we're quite regular on the comic, comic convention scene we do all the coverage we've got a film crew and stuff so we always go in and we film actors and all that cool stuff so uh having you there would i, re I think it really bring another element to, to to a convention have you considered doing any big conventions have you done any recently no well, i mean before... i i've i've always been approached the one thing i have and i'm not again judging anybody uh, these things where people pay for autographs and pictures to mm -hmm. me I am more thankful that you guys even appreciate whatever I did. So I, I love mm -hmm. just interacting and there always seems to be some type of monetary connection with when people approach me that, oh, you have to sit there and if someone wants a picture, it's 20 bucks. And I understand that. What I don't understand are celebrities like, you know, William Shatner or Dolph Lundgren, these guys doing it for cash. Uh, to me, it's mm -hmm. like, guys, you got dough. And I may be completely <laughs> wrong and, and people can slam me for that, but I'm more appreciative of what people do and I've never really wanted. So if they, if they wanted to like fly me out and pay for that, put me in a room, a hotel, whatever, show up and just meet and greet people. I, I'd love to do that. Um, nice. and, and then if they want to compensate whatever work I'm missing here, that's fine. But it's being in that transactionary and that's how they make their money. I get it is that I kind of not drifted in that, that mm -hmm. arena. Cause Mark would love to go do those things too. And, yeah. you know, Mark likes to, you know, do the photo and he's even said, Hey, why don't we start doing appearances? And I said, I don't mind, but I don't really want to get any money. And then that puts him in a weird spot. Not like he needs it, but he obviously likes to be compensated for his likeness. Mm -hmm. So I get it. But yeah, I would love to do those just because you, you meet more people. And if people enjoy, you know, meeting me or anybody from the movie, I think that anything we can do for that, you know, I'd mm -hmm. like to, to participate. The UK has a massive convention scene. It's, it's, it's in a bit of a troubled waters this year because of the whole COVID <laughs> stuff. But yeah, that's, they, that's that's the industry that I actually work in here in Southern California. Yeah. I hire guys to do, and we've been kind of shut down. My guys haven't been right. able to work. It's slowly picking up, but yeah, it's kind of sad because mm -hmm. it's a big gathering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it'd be great. It'd be great to see that, and t to know that you're there would give us all the more reason to travel the country to come down and meet. Oh, that's nice. Um, but like I <laughs> said, when uh, somebody else there. <laughs> when COVID's done, if you are in the UK at any point, uh, oh, definitely let us know because we can we can have it done as a phone call, and we have a date 
and a poster already online uh, <laughs> we'd love to have you over uh, it's more like a you know how nirvana did the old mtv uh unplugged it'd be kind of like yeah, that. yeah. have you on a yeah. stage uh, a couple of comfy seats and everybody just kind of feels like together in a room uh what's the what's the capacity is we've got those two screens like um and yeah the capacity the capacity could be pushed to maybe 120 140 mm-hmm. something like that yeah, yeah um, i mean if you can it's... gather that many people that are interested enough to to listen to me babble for an hour or so yeah i don't I know. like yeah. i said i i, I enjoy amazing. answering questions for people it's fun for me that's what i enjoy yeah. everybody else enjoys the movie i enjoy people's reactions and their questions and being able to to talk that's fun for me Uh, what's the um i mean uh, this this podcast aside what's been the most fun you've had talking about the movie since the the hype picked up (laughs) um probably the interviews that i did on the 80s picture house way back in 2016 part one and part two I really went in depth. They spent two hours on part one and two hours on part two. Some of them, yeah. my life before Samurai Cop and some after. That was fun. But like I said, when I've traveled uh, for the premieres of Samurai Cop 2 to Madrid, that was fun being around uh, the fan base. Because anywhere you go, all, they all have that love of those movies that are so bad, they're good. So I, I enjoy interacting. And it's funny for me because I, I literally would have people come up women that are just shaking and i'm like stop i mean i'm just a dork it's not like you're meeting elvis presley in 1950 but it's very endearing and i and i think it's sweet but it's just funny to see people that that um that really you know are shocked when i'm there they don't realize i'm as tall as i am or whatever but um it's just uh it's just fun i think probably when i travel even when i was in london that was fun um, I, I have my friends. I shout out to all my uh, friends and over and actually uh, Tina, Dave, and Tom uh, that are from the 80s Picture House. I give them a shout out. They're over. I think they live in Wales or just outside Wales. So oh, I've nice. been in touch with everybody uh, in, in Tenerife during the pandemic, seeing how their governments are handling things, what's going on. And I just hopefully we can quickly get through the, the nonsense and move on. Uh, like I said, mm-hmm. I, I had it got through it. And, and um, but it's a big topic everybody can get into. I, I have natural antibodies now and I don't really want to add anything to it. I think we'll be fine. I think there's enough stuff out there. If you want to get a vaccine, go for it. If you think the mask works, go for it. But to keep mandating stuff and like our poor people in Australia, I'm just thinking, fuck, I don't oh, know if I'm ever God. going to be able to travel anywhere because this is it's so absurd for what it really is and for how deadly it is. The, the, the things that are going on are beyond that. And that's what makes me wonder, do I want to travel outside of the U S because here we can still say, fuck you, you know, come get, come get me. Um, But where I live here in California, it's a very liberal coast and New York in the middle of America, they're back to normal. They don't even think about COVID. Everyone's going to football games. I mean, it's a very politically split country. So yeah, I, for me to travel, I'd <laughs> no love shit. to get over there, but I need some stability. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. you got half the country that still think the election was rigged, half believe that the, the COVID isn't necessary. What we're doing, so it's just really straight down the middle. And sometimes mm. I just think I'm in a, a, a fucking Alice in Wonderland. It's like, come on, we're coming up on two years now. Let's let's live with it. Let's move on and let's everybody get back yeah. to life because now economies are getting hit you know, trade and this and that and flying, you know, you can't fly unless you have a vaccine shot. It's like, come on. So that's, that's mm-hmm. the only thing limiting me from coming over there. I'd love to spend time with you guys over there. I think it would yeah. be a blast. Yeah. Well, when the stars align that we can definitely make that happen. So that would be unbelievable to have you over. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show, man. And you can come on anytime. Uh, we should yeah, talk I know, about I think we've... at some point. 
Absolutely. We've done enough, unless you think there's more to dig in. But I mean, you we could come on, on and on. We could uh, we could do a watch along of a yeah. We'll movie, all just right? watch it. We'll watch it together. We'll watch it together, and we'll just yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those Absolutely. I did watch over and over and over again. Rocky threes or Rocky fours when I was growing up. Yeah, I, I loved yeah. those things. Great. Absolutely. He was a great movie maker. I love the music, the soundtracks, and all the Sly's movies were very entertaining. It was that mm. MTV era of quick cuts. He was a really brilliant writer director. I sat there the day that he wrote Rocky Four. I was playing tennis with his girlfriend. Yeah, tough job at work. Uh, While well, he <laughs> sat outside in uh, Beverly Hills and wrote the scripts, he just he's that motivated. That's why he's an amazing, amazing talent, and uh, yeah. it's an honor to yeah to work for him. So uh, very much. Around. Very much looking forward to the Rocky Four director's cut, which is coming very yeah. soon. Yeah, that'll be good. I think that'll be good. Yes. Yeah, we'll you do that. We'll watch that together. You should okay. come we'll on and we'll watch it together. <laughs> we'll oh, do you guys you do live screenings of that? Yeah, let me know. Well, hi, hi, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, also something. It's fine for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah you guys yeah. do it at 9 o'clock your time. Yeah. <laughs> there you Thank have you guys it. very uh, much. Thank you no, for reaching you. out. I, I I enjoyed your review. It was spot on. I, I don't ever have any hard. I laugh the, the entire time. So don't ever think you offended me because I've no, never okay. done that. It, it was it was so I funny. I appreciate like, you guys reaching out. It was so funny after after we reached out and asked you to come on and you agreed. Kevin Kevin texted me. He's like he's like, did we not really kind of tear into this guy? I was like, no, we didn't. No, tear into not this guy. We tore no, into the no, movie. It was, uh, it was all fair <laughs> stuff. I, I agree with you on everything. I didn't. Nothing offends. Nothing offends. <laughs> No, it, it, it's been an absolute blast having you on, Matt, and um, I, I'd love to have you on again. So with Kevin, mm -hmm. so with everybody that watched tonight, thanks for your questions yeah. tonight as well. That yeah, was, thank that was you good everybody, fun. Everybody for Agreed. tuning in and asking questions. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And we will we will definitely uh, have you back on in the future. You can find us all at uh, jibberjabberpodcast.com. You can find everywhere that we put our podcast out and uh, keep an eye on what's coming next. Again, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I can't believe it. We had the Samurai Cop here on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. I'm just, I, need to, I need to do this. I need to try and do the face. I wish I had a playback. <laughs> 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 and we will see you guys next week bye bye